0: Welcome to Horizon West Church. Uh, those in the room, those who are online participating with us, leave us a comment and let us know that you're there. Uh, we are just so blessed uh, as a church family, um, and uh, that includes you if, you're, if it's your first time or your first few times. Uh, we, we hope that this is beginning to feel like family to you um, and that you begin to sense what God is doing um, even through our midst uh, right now. Um, I want to give you uh, a a couple of important updates. Um, One is less of an update, just a reminder, but I had the chance to talk to William, uh, Pastor William and Shiloh uh, this past week, and uh, they are, as many of you know, most of you know, they're in Nigeria doing the work God has called them to. Uh, They're about halfway through their their three months' time, if you can believe that, Um, and uh, they are both... Uh, encouraged by what God is doing there, and they're missing us terribly. I don't know if they're missing us more or we're missing them more, but uh, it was great uh, to, to talk. And just a reminder, uh, for one, a reminder of why we felt called to merge two churches together back in April, um, so that the work of God could continue both here and also there in Nigeria. But uh, their blessing uh, on you uh, it came through the conversation, and just continue to be praying for them and their family uh, in the days ahead. I told you uh, two weeks ago that we were believing that God was calling us to new territory. Um, And if you were here that Sunday, as we talked about the the story of Jesus uh, filling the boats with fish to the point in Luke chapter five where the boats were sinking and saying, hey, we called for a second boat. And we had the the excitement, the uh, opportunity of announcing that God was calling us to Horizon High School. And I told you then, I said, We don't know the date. We've got kind of an earliest possible and then kind of a later, but you're gonna let us know when it's time to move. And one of the ways that you did that was that immediately that Sunday, over a hundred of you got your devices out and texted, I'm in, to the number that we gave you, 40777. And over time, dozens more have done that. And even more exciting than that We've had nearly 80 people fill out the form. We've enlisted more than 50 brand new volunteers to serve at Horizon West Church as we transition. And this, yes, you can applaud that. But most exciting is this is what it means. The time has come. We're making the move. What God is doing in our kids' rooms that are overflowing, what God wants to do with our students who have no space to gather on Sunday, what God wants to do in the room where we worship Him and where we invite the community, it is time to move. And so, in two weeks, October, no, 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 did I say that wrong? Three weeks, man, I'm throwing you off already. That's how excited I am. Three weeks, October the 17th, we are going to have our first Sunday at Horizon High School. And you're going to hear, yeah, you're going to hear, You're going to hear about some important things that are happening in the two weeks leading up to that because we've got a transition plan that's kind of unique that allows our staff and leaders and at some point our volunteers to actually get into that space on Sunday morning. So we're going to do some different things the next couple of Sundays. Please, uh, if you're in the room or online, please stay to the end of the service. Marcy's going to give you those important details. But most of all, just so excited. Not only by the response of what it means for us as a church, but that over 50 people said, I'm ready to take a discipleship step. I'm ready to go in on what God has called me to. And I'm just so excited uh, to be the bearer of that news. All right. We are going to continue this morning our I'm In series. As I told you, you're going to have an opportunity to respond at the end of the message. Um, Before we do that, let me pray um, and let's open the word together. Father in heaven, we thank you. God, we thank you that you are a good God, that you um, are the king of kings. God, that you sent Jesus not only to, to, to die and to be raised to life for our salvation, but God, to model what it looks like to live the surrendered life. God, the only one who did it perfectly was Jesus. And so, Lord, we want to be reminded this morning of who it is that we follow, who it is that we worship, and what it is that you've called us to do as we walk in the steps of Jesus. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. All right, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 2 this morning. If you got a Bible, we'll also have that on the the screens uh, behind me. I want to give you a quick recap, um, and also if you're new to the Horizon West Church community, kind of catch you up on where we've been the last few weeks. So each week we're looking at somebody who said, our translation, somebody who said, I'm in to what God has called, whether that was mission or discipleship or sacrifice. And so uh, week one, we looked at the disciples, Peter and James and John and Andrew, and and how they left their nets, their fishing gear, they left all of their things behind and said, Jesus, we're going to follow you. Now, they didn't know at the time that three of those four men would end up dying for their commitment to Jesus, being martyred. But they said, Lord, we're in, and we looked at that first example of the disciples leaving everything to follow Jesus. And then last week, what a cool thing it was to have Keon Upkins with us, and and, and bringing the word on Isaiah, who said, Lord, here I am, send me, send me on the mission that you've called me to. And so I have a team of folks from Horizon West Church, a a very small group, we meet on Monday mornings, and we talk about content and, and the sermon, and it helps me get perspective, right, because I'm one person. I have one background and one cultural perspective. And so we've got people of different nationalities and speak different languages and different genders and generations, and it helps to inform. And we were meeting recently, and it occurred to me, I said, you know, of all the I'm in people in the Bible, the best example is Jesus, right? Like like he is the ultimate example of somebody who said, Father, I'm in for the mission that you've called me to. And so this morning, we're going to look directly at Jesus' I'm in, how Jesus put his yes on the table. And what I want to do in just these next 25 minutes or so, I want to give you three reasons that come straight out of the scripture, three reasons for you to say, I'm in. And then to follow that up by going in on the mission that God has for you. Here here is the first reason. Reason number one, because of the present benefits of Christian community. Look with me at Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Now, you're going to notice in those verses there are several conditional statements or a series of conditional statements. A conditional statement, of course, is the if-then. If-then. Now, a typical conditional statement might sound something like this. This will resonate with those of you that, like me, have young children. You say this. You say children, or kids. I don't really call my children children. Kids. (laughs) If you clean your rooms you can get 30 minutes of extra iPad time, okay? You ever done that, right? If you do this, conditional, then I will do this, response. What Paul is doing in Philippians 2 is a conditional statement, but it's somewhat different than the typical. Paul is not saying, if you do this, then this will happen. What Paul's doing is he's using a conditional statement with the assumption that what he's saying is true. So it's like this. It would be like saying to my kids, If you want 30 minutes of extra iPad time, assumption, and I know that you do, then clean your room. Paul's going to say, look, if you have any benefit of being part of the Christian community, if you have comfort, if you have affection, if you're receiving from the gift of being part of the family of God, then there's going to be something expected of you. He lists these conditions He says, believers, don't you have encouragement in Christ? The implication being, yes, we do. Don't you have comfort from his love? Don't you have a participation in the Holy Spirit, affection for each other, sympathy for each other? And if you do, then there's something expected of you. Let me ask you this question. How conscious are you of the benefits that you derive as part of God's family? Or let me make it more specifically. How conscious are you of the benefits you derive as a part of the local church that is Horizon West Church? Now now some of you come in this morning, whether it was here, hopefully not, or elsewhere, and you go, Chris, I've been hurt by Christian community. I've been burned by churches. I've been wounded by a pastor or a youth pastor or somebody that was supposedly a spiritual leader. So, So I don't think as much about the benefits. I think about the pain and the hurt that has come with that. But if you have walked as part of a relatively healthy Christian community for any number of time, you also have seen some real wins. When a loved one died and you had the confidence that you would be reunited with them and there would be a family to walk you through that experience. When you were in a moment of crisis and the Holy Spirit reminded you of a promise in his word or gave you the words to say in a difficult situation, when your life was unraveling and brothers and sisters stepped up to pray or to provide counsel or to bring meals or whatever it was, and Paul's saying, look, think about the benefits that you have as part of this community we call the church. See, one of the reasons I believe we can say, I'm in, and then do it is because we're part of a family that is invested in our well-being. Right? like That's not always the case. It's not, it's not everywhere that we show up that people are like, hey, I am for your good, but I pray to God that it's true here. That we have people that are invested in our well-being and we in theirs. To be part of a Christian community is to be a family with a singular purpose. It does not mean we're going to agree on everything. It means we have a singular purpose. We say we exist to glorify God. And the way that we do that is by by obedience to his word, by by caring for each other, by by reaching the community. This is what we're committed to. And Paul says, if that is the case, then here's some instructions. So he uses these terms. He says, have the same mind, the same love, a full accord. It's all of these things. In fact, that last one, when he says, be in full accord, the actual word there means co-spirited which I love, co-spirited. That's not like a, a word, I don't think, in our vernacular, but to be co-spirited, to have the same desires and outcomes. A family with a singular purpose and a family of mutual care. Where, in Paul's words, others are more significant and we look not only to our own interests. This may be an all-points bulletin or a PSA, but most people in the world are not looking out for your interests. Did you know that? Have I busted some bubbles this morning? Like, people don't care, you know? Like, they want to get in the checkout line before you do. They want the better parking spot, right? And we're all guilty of this because we all have fallen human nature that says, I put myself first. But here's the problem. If I put myself first and all of you put yourselves first, I have one person looking out for me. His name is Chris, and he's wearing workout clothes to preach this morning, which is a little (laughs) weird to some of you. But but here's how it's supposed to work in the church. If each of us consider others more significant, if each of us look to the uh, interests of others, then I don't have one person looking out for me. I have hundreds, right? And and this is one of the fundamental differences of living life as a follower of Jesus in Christian community. When we look out for number one, we're not talking about ourselves. We're saying we exist to to honor and serve the Lord and then out of the overflow of that, to honor and serve God. One another. Paul says, this is a reason to say, Man, I'm in. I can't find that anywhere else. So I'm in. That there's a unique thing about Christianity. I think it's unique among world religions. Keon mentioned that last week. I think one of the reasons is this the Christian mindset, or if you will, the Christian ethic, when it's working properly, says, I have already received so much that whatever I do for God or for another person is simply a payment on a debt that I will never ultimately repay. So I don't walk around thinking somebody owes me something. I don't walk around feeling like like I deserve something from you. Just by virtue of being part of this fellowship, and I'm speaking very practically now, I have derived more from you than I will ever give to you. That's not false humility, that's not... When we've had needs and people in the church, this happened two months ago, who didn't even know about the need said, Chris, the Lord led us, we felt compelled and to give a gift and it was the exact amount that met the need, right? Because this was a brother in Christ, sir, uh, serving and honoring the Lord said, we, we wanna do this. We, we've had people gift us things, we've had people pray for us, we've had people step in in difficult seasons and provide counsel, like we have gotten more from you as a family than we will ever be able to give to you. And so we don't walk around with chips on our shoulders. And this should be true of every one of us. That, That we don't walk around going, this person owes me and I did this and I didn't get that back. We go, man, I've already received so much. Whatever I give back is simply a small payment on a debt. But even if your experience with Christian community has not been that. You're like, Chris, that's great for you, but I haven't experienced this there is still this, reason number two, to go all in. And it's the past example of Jesus' sacrifice. Go back to Philippians 2 with me. Begin at verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or held onto, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Friends, if the thought of valuing others above yourselves is countercultural, the thought of choosing to suffer for others is is crazy, right, like to the modern mind. Like, I'm not only not gonna give you the better parking spot, but like, you you want me to suffer for you? Like, that's, that's going way beyond what I am comfortable with. But he, Jesus, was pierced. For our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. Do you see how this works? Jesus wasn't enjoying the experience of death. He wasn't enjoying the experience of suffering and abandonment and persecution and trial. He did it because in his death and suffering we would have life. So even if my experience with Christian community has not been great, I will live with an eternal debt of saying, God, you saved me. You sent your son to die on a cross in my place. You opened wide the doors of heaven. I can never repay that back. And even if people have betrayed me and hurt me and wounded me, I'm not living for people. I'm living for the glory of the one who saved me. And so from that mindset, I can say, God, I'm in. It's not going to be easy. The, the reality, we, we talk about wanting to have a, a, you know, a Christian community or do life with people. Did you know that that means practicing patience and forgiveness and bearing with one another? It's great in theory, and then you do it and you go, Ouch, any of you married? <laughs> right, I'm just, just real talk. I'm just saying, like, there is going to be some rub. But we trust the sovereign God who says, Look, I saved you, I redeemed you, I placed you in this family. This is going to sanctify you. This is going to uh, smooth off the rush, rough edges, but it's also going to be the place where you experience incredible reward and benefit. I think these verses, specifically the four we just read, Philippians 2, 5-8, is perhaps the most important passage in all of the Bible. Now, you could probably say that about several, but, but this one is so important. And, and here's why I say that. There is a theological term. It's not, it's not in, in the uh, scripture, but it's a theological term that helps us to understand or to explain what Paul is talking about here, and it's the word kenosis. Say that back to me. Okay, you guys are theologians. Kenosis. It, it, what, what kenosis is, is the idea that Jesus, who is the Son of God, so, so let's do some theology here, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three persons, one being. Yeah, you go, well, that doesn't make a lot of sense Uh, yet, but you know what? But that's what scripture reveals. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So that the second person of that triune Godhead, Jesus, comes to earth. And if I understand Philippians chapter 2 right, he empties himself not of being God, But he does empty himself of all of the privileges and the prerogatives of what it means to be God. So Jesus doesn't leave Godness out of the equation. He he doesn't cease to be God. But he does cease to access the privileges. In fact, and there isn't universal agreement, but I'll state my position on this. I believe this so wholeheartedly that I think that when Jesus came to earth and became human that he had no extra privileges that we don't have. The only thing he had was perfect union with the Father and the Spirit. And it was out of perfect fellowship with God as a man that he was able to have miraculous power, that he was able to teach with wisdom and and practice self-control and live a sinful life. Jesus is modeling for us, theoretically at least, what could be true if we were in perfect fellowship with the Father. He didn't have these, we were talking about superpowers this morning. He didn't have these superpowers in his pocket. Like Jesus said, I do nothing but what the Father does. And Jesus, we see being carried by the Holy Spirit. He's a man, yes, the Son of God, but living as a man and fleshing out the God life as a man. Is this beyond our comprehension? Yes, but I would say this. It's not anti-intellectual. It's beyond our intellectual capacity. Anti-intellectual would be to tell you that Jesus was both a man and not a man. I'm not saying that. I'm saying he was a God-man in a way that we can't fully understand, but we accept because scripture teaches it. Uh, let me illustrate this for you in a couple of ways. One, my buddy Alex, who's, uh, par- he leads our setup team here, he's one of the deacons. Um, I thought about getting permission to share this, but I didn't, so I'm sorry, Alex, if you watch this. Um... <laughs> But Alex, Alex and I are workout buddies, and so he's actually the one that got me into these pants that my wife hates. And, um, and <laughs> my kids call them ballet pants. That's just terribly embarrassing. But, uh, but Alex said to me the other day, he goes, dude, I'm like 30-something years old, and, but I saw this Kobe jersey, and I, and I, I think I'm going to buy it. I'm like, dude, do you, man. Like, buy that Kobe jersey and wear it with pride. And so he does. And when, when Alex puts on the Kobe Bryant jersey, and I've seen him in, in like a picture wearing it and stuff. None of us think that Alex has now become Kobe Bryant. (laughs) That's mean. That's no, but because we what we understand is that he put on something. Okay? Let, Let me illustrate it another way that might make a little more sense. Next month, around this time, October 31st, kids all over the community and all over the neighborhoods are gonna dress up as superheroes and princesses and dinosaurs, and they're gonna go knock on doors and get candy. And there's no thought in anybody's mind that that child has become a superhero, become a princess, become a dinosaur. They've just put on the costume. Now, where am I going with this? Here's where. Some people who have preached this passage have erroneously misspoken. Maybe they believe this and were in error, or maybe they just said it the wrong way. But you've probably heard this that Jesus put on flesh. Jesus did not put on flesh. Jesus became flesh. Like Jesus wasn't in a disguise. Like I'm really like, I've got all the powers and privileges of God, but I'm just gonna act like a man. No, he suffered. He hungered. He wept. He felt at times lonely and isolated and cried out to the Father. Jesus, Hebrews tells us, was tempted in every way as we are. How do you do that unless you are a man? Jesus had to resist against temptation he didn't put on flesh he became flesh and he did it because it was flesh and blood that needed to pay the penalty for sin and the only way to do that is to have a man go to the cross and the only one who could do it was a God and so how do you do that you have the God man Jesus now this is so important to understand this is what theologian A.W. Tozer 20th century pastor and theologian he says this about the fact of Jesus being a man He says, unless we understand this, I do not think we can be fully aware of what it means for Jesus to represent us, a man at the right hand of of the majesty in the heavens representing us. Suppose you and I were able right now to go to the presence of the Father, and if we could see the Spirit, who is God, and the archangels and seraphim and strange creations out of the fire, we would see them surrounding the throne, but to our delight and amazement, we would see a man there, human like we are. The man, Jesus Christ himself. Wow. Now this does not diminish who Jesus is as the son of God. If anything, it elevates it. That Jesus would flesh this out as the God man. That we have one who, as scripture says, has gone before us into the heavens. And has opened the way for men and women to follow. What does this have to do with our responsibility? I would answer that question by saying it has everything to do with our responsibility. John 3:16 is familiar to most if not all of you. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. In that simple verse, that popular well-known verse, is the word gave. God gave his son. In other words, Jesus was sent, Jesus was commissioned. In other words, Jesus could have said no. Right? I mean, at least in theory, Jesus being sent could have said, I don't want to be sent. He could have said, I'm out. I imagine this conversation, and I'm sure this isn't how it worked, but just to get my mind around it, I imagine this conversation between God the Father and God the Son in some infinite past, and the Father is explaining to Jesus, and he says this, he says, Jesus, in a little while here, in, in you know, a little bit of time here, you're going to give up all of this, all of heaven, all of the privileges and the prerogatives, and I'm going to send you uh, down to live among the people of earth. And Jesus says, all right, I'm in. The Father says, okay, but Jesus, you need to know it's not only that, but you're actually, you're, you're actually not going to just live on You're going to become human like they are. And Jesus says, okay, I'm in. He says that there's more. He says, you're going to be rejected and abandoned and betrayed, and you're going to experience death, Jesus. And Jesus takes a deep breath and says, I'm in. And the Father says, Jesus, there's one more thing you need to know. There's one more thing. You're not just going to experience death, but you're going to experience death by execution on a Roman cross. It is going to be horrific, and you are going to suffer, and ultimately you're going to bleed out and suffocate, naked and abandoned, lifted up in the middle of the city for people to gawk at. And Jesus says, I'm in. I wouldn't do it. I'm just being honest with you. Considering you more than myself, looking to your interests, maybe on a good day. But to go through all of that to save an undeserving people, I would not do. And Jesus did it. Let me give you another proof that Jesus was truly human being as he went to the cross. Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. I want to throw it up here on the TV. L- look at what happens. I want to set this up. Jesus is in the garden, he's been betray- betrayed or about to be betrayed. It says, going a little further, he, Jesus, fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, say this part with me, not as I will, but as you will. Can I translate that for us this morning? To put it in the vernacular of our series, Jesus is saying, Father, if there is a way out, I'll take it. Don't want to go to the cross. (laughs) I don't want that cup that he's referring to is the cup of God's wrath. He doesn't deserve to drink it. Father, if there's a plan B, I'm out. But if there is no other way, I'm in. I'll go because it's not my will, Father. It, it's, it's yours. It is what, you're, what you want. I don't know if you often think about it, but I ask the question, where would I be if Jesus had chosen the way out instead of the way in? I mean, where would I be if that moment, that simple moment where Jesus, I believe, is on his knees praying in the garden, and he's wrestling, and I'm not even a thought yet, I'm not alive yet, but my eternal destiny hangs in the balance. If Jesus says, I'm out, I'm done. And Jesus says, not my will, but yours. He goes to the cross, he suffers, he dies, and he's raised to life in the third way, and it creates an opportunity For any who would call on the name of the Lord, not only to be saved, but to live the abundant life for which we were created. Jesus put his yes on the table. Jesus said, I'm in. Now, there could be an objection that goes something like this. Yeah, but Jesus' mission is far more critical than mine. Like, I understand that Jesus had to say, I'm in, because the salvation hung in the balance. But if I say, I'm out, or if I don't say, I'm in, like it's not as important, and I would answer it this way. Jesus' mission is your mission. Now, Now, you're not called to go to a cross and die. He's already done the saving work, but you are called to take that message, the good news of the gospel, to the ends of the earth, or people aren't saved. Like, it is critical. Matthew 28, 18 to 20, Jesus is raised to life, and he hands his ministry and his mission off to the disciples. And it says this, Matthew 28, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And Jesus had no plan B. It's not like he's telling the angels, Hey, if these guys drop the ball, just jump in, you know? He's like, Church. My mission to save the world, I've done the saving work. Now I'm putting it in your care and in your trust to take the message to the ends of the earth. So you go, oh, my my, I'm in isn't that important, really? Because here's what I believe. I believe that in just a few Sundays when we show up at Horizon High School and every Sunday in the middle of a growing community, one of the fastest growing communities in America, And our signs are up and our t-shirts are out and people wander in or check it out and our smiling faces and doors open and high fives and encouraging and and an atmosphere of grace and warmth and family. And I believe that because we're there, people are going to be saved and healed and restored. And one day in heaven, because we answered the call of God and said, I'm in, and we showed up and God uses us to bring transformation, to bring healing, to bring life to a community. One more reason that I'll give you to to be in, and this one's fun and exciting. Reason number three is this, the future reward of the surrendered life. Let me read Philippians chapter two and these last uh, three verses we're gonna read, verses nine through 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him, Jesus, and bestowed on him the name that's above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow in heaven and on earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Amen. The reality is this, everything that you do in life is motivated by reward. Either immediate or eventual. And, and you are in every moment of your day, you're evaluating whether you want a reward immediately, like 5 Oreos, <laughs> or you want a reward eventually, like 5 miles. You understand? Nobody chooses to get up and run five miles because it feels better than eating five donuts or Oreos, right? Like it just doesn't. Everybody assumes I'm a runner because I'm skinny and and I don't run. I actually lift, thank you very much. Just not getting very far. Running's not fun. A couple of you like it and and that's the condition. Like that's a mental health issue. But for the rest of us... For the rest of us, we go, I I would rather eat the donuts or eat the Oreos, but here's the problem. If I look at next Tuesday, if I look at the beach trip that I'm going on, if I look at the race I'm running in three weeks, if I look to the future, I go, I'm going to set aside the temporary pleasure Because the future reward of fitting into that dress or bathing suit, the future reward of making my time at the race, the future reward of living a life of clear thinking and feeling good and disciplined and fit and healthy is better than the immediate reward of, well, that tasted good. And and I say this because it's so important that you understand the Bible does not bristle against the reality Of future reward and payoff like it it, the bible doesn't say hey it's just really hard and you're gonna die one day but do it that's not what the bible says the bible is replete over and over and over and over over and over again with the idea that we should live for something in the future that will be good for us that will be better for us john piper refers to this as christian hedonism Hedonism is the idea that we live for pleasure. Piper says, I'm leaning into that. We live for the future pleasure of eternal reward. Christian hedonism. So so the idea is we're looking to the future. Now, I want to confess for myself and many other people who preach the scriptures that that I and often we do a really poor job of reminding you of this. We'll talk about the, the vision and the mission and the excitement and we're doing this and that, but you need to be reminded and you need to know that when this life comes to an end, and you've lived faithfully the surrendered life of following Jesus, you are going to walk into an eternity of pleasure and satisfaction and community and shalom. And I want you to live for that. And I want to remind you of what the Bible says over and over again, as in First Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Next verse. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what lies ahead, I press on, I press on (laughs) toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The prize. Paul's saying, I believe there's a prize in front of me. Go to the next verse. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed, future tense to be revealed in us. Romans 8:18. 8, Go to the next one. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you what? The crown of life. Revelation 2:10. One more. And this one is, is about Jesus, who we're talking about this morning. Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So very important that you don't miss that line. Go, go back one slide, Zach. Go back one. For what did Jesus go to the cross? For the, the joy that was set before him. <laughs> Jesus was able to say, I'm in. Jesus was able to go to the cross because he was looking beyond it and the pain of it to something better. And Jesus envisioned what he knew by faith to be a future reality where he would walk out of his own grave and he would ascend to the right hand of the Father and all authority in heaven and earth would be invested in him. And it's like, Jesus, all you've got to do is this really, really difficult and deathly thing of called going to the cross, but in contrast to what the payoff is, in contrast to what the future reward is, it's worth it. And Jesus looked at the joy that was before him and endured the cross because of it. That's the power of vision, friends. That is the power of keeping a vision in front of you. Let me apply this to myself personally. I thought about maybe I could apply it to you, but I don't know your situation. So as I apply these things to myself, I want you to just translate it into your own life the power of vision. It is vision that helps me keep my marriage on track because Nikki and I envision a day where we're in our hundreds. I I said that, right? She doesn't so much envision that, but I envision our hundreds or 90s and we're sitting on a porch on rocking chairs holding hands and our grandkids and great-grandkids and great-great-grandkids and great, no, we'll probably be dead. But doesn't mean we don't fight sometimes. Doesn't mean we don't have to ask forgiveness. Doesn't mean sometimes everything in me wants to resist her and I go, Lord, help me move to her. Yes, it's hard. Harder for her maybe than me, but yes, it's, it can be hard. But we have a vision of a future reward. Amen. I, I, I want to get there. Amen. This vision keeps me grounded in my parenting because when, when I'm tempted to, to do things that would harm my family or, or when I'm tempted to, to give in to my temptations, I go, hold, hold on. I envision a future where I'm walking my daughters down the aisle and all they can think is how glad they are that their daddy and their hero is the one doing it. Like I know we're all broken and I'm not throwing stones at anybody, but I know what I desire is I desire to live a faithful life that my daughters can look up to and respect. I look forward to the day where Jonah is my best friend and I'm his mentor and we're adult men doing life together, encouraging each other. Like, like I keep that in front of me. I have a vision, I'll give you the short-term one, the the vision for Horizon West Church, where we would see not just hundreds, but thousands of adults and children over time, over several campuses, coming to faith in Jesus, being baptized and being discipled. And even longer term than that, I have a future vision of a day when perhaps one of your great-grandchildren is pastoring some of my great-grandchildren in the heart of Horizon West and standing on a stage like this in another place, in another time, and saying, just as the generations before us did, we preach the gospel, we proclaim Jesus, and we worship the one who is worthy. And that is the vision that gets me through the hard days long meetings the struggles man how do we work out this logistic how do we man another you know family is struggling and they're you know how how do we get through all this we keep the vision in front of us we believe that there is a future reward in store Jesus is our model death followed by resurrection followed by exaltation therefore God exalted him verse 9 and if we are willing to endure the pain there will come a payoff would you pray with me Father in heaven, I thank you for Jesus because without Jesus' I'm in, Lord, we would be lost. We'd be separated from you. God, we'd be dominated by sin, by fear of death. We, we, We would have no hope and no future. But God, because you gave your one and only son, because the son of God was willing to come and die, or we have life and we have it everlasting. And God, I thank you also for the model of Jesus' life, that, that as he walks, so might we walk in his steps, not living for ourselves, considering others better, looking to their interests. God, as each of us do that, would you make us a church that is compelling, that is unique, that when people walk in, they go, man, I don't see this everywhere. This is a genuine family. These are genuine friends. Lord, make us that